This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. The long-awaited moment happened where uh, bail reform happened. It's been discussed for a long time. It's been an issue clearly in the municipal election. You've certainly had people... Um, I think of all political stripes saying we can't have dangerous and violent offenders, you know, in the city of Toronto who should either be uh, not on probation. It's two very different things, right? Out on probation early or some form of house arrest, the risk of breaking that. And that's a different story from somebody out on bail. We had this horrific tragedy at Keel Subway Station about six weeks ago now. You remember um, Global's own Catherine McDonald talking to the mom. I, I don't know how she found the courage. I don't know how she found the um, the wherewithal, the inner strength to do television interviews. If that was my child, I, like I'll, all I know is you'd never see me again. You'd never see from me me again. You'd never hear from me again. And that was a violent offender who we could do nothing about, who had absolutely blown through. His third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, sixth chance. But yesterday, progress. And so let me, are we not going to praise progress or are we just going to lament, well, it was too late for this person or that person? I know the one specific example of the police officer that was shot in late December who uh, was from Barrie originally. They had the police funeral up at the big uh, OHL arena in Barrie form just around Christmas time. I think just after New Year's, as a matter of fact. But I'm going to come in praise this morning of David Lametti, the justice minister, because though it could have happened earlier, though it should have happened earlier, they put new legislation on the table. And now all the critics, all they can say really is either they might be able to make the case it's not firm enough, but and they can certainly make the case this should have happened months in advance, but it now has happened. It's not very, you know, it's not very deep in terms of the documentation. It's just seven pages. But I like a government that gets scrutiny, that gets pushed up and then says, "Okay, we'll change. Okay, we'll make it better. Okay, we're hearing you. Now, they're not going to hear you about everything. And this liberal government sure has it. If Justin Trudeau is going to make another run at it and try and do something that most people don't try and do, and even the ones that try, Stephen Harper, a few others, don't succeed in doing, getting elected four times, even with a minority government. John Cretchen didn't want to try for a uh, a fourth time. Brian Mulroney knew better than to try for a third time, and he had overwhelming majorities in ni- waves of blue in 1984 and 1988. Um, we'll see, maybe even provincially. Can Doug Ford get a third and even a fourth majority government in 26 or 30. I don't know, but I'm going to give the liberals credit here. I won't go into all the details of the bill, but suffice to say, there isn't a ton of criticism. Pierre Pauli Evers is going to say it doesn't go far enough, but it's also partly his job to go far to say it doesn't go far enough. Do you expect the conservative leader putting the kind of pressure on the liberals that he has to make the point it goes exactly far enough, well done, and then lead a standing ovation in the House of Commons? Not going to happen. By the way, we've got quite a dramatic uh, incident involving, uh, this is a very Pauly uh, uh filled show because we're going to play his exchange with uh, Carolyn Bennett in the House of Commons, the uh, basically addictions minister, talking about uh, drugs safe supply in a little bit. Um, but yes, what is, what is the biggest thing that I think this does? This one. And it's about intimate partner violence. Now there's a reverse onus. This, we've talked about this before with even things to do with COVID. 
The job for you, with masks and restrictions and anything else, you have to prove to me a public health intervention works. You have to show me data. You don't have to ask me to go prove it doesn't work. It's not how it, that's not how it works. That's not how the system works. You have to prove it works. I don't have to prove it doesn't. If I'm, if I'm put on a, a, a trial for being a serial killer, you have to prove that I killed the people. You can't just say, hey, prove you didn't. Give me alibi after alibi. Give me this. Give me that. No, you have to have evidence. And for intimate partner violence, here we are. You get an intimate partner violence conviction. The reverse onus is, addresses the enhanced risk. We've seen the data way more often than not. People that would hit a partner, okay? Man hitting woman is the more, most prevalent. Of course it is. But, okay, let's, let's link, link them all in. Man hitting woman. A man hitting man. Man hitting kid. Woman hitting woman. Woman hitting man. Okay, that's almost in descending, or rather, uh, yeah, descending order of frequency. But let's make this the case. That if you're accused of these things and convicted of these things, we've got a little bit of a higher lens on you. We've got a little bit more of a spotlight here. Of course we should. <laughs> the idea that we, the onus was on the other side. Well, um, maybe we should prove that they're a danger. No, no, no. They just prove they're a danger. They have to prove they're not. And that's finally something that our justice system needs to be doing. We now are going to require courts to consider an accused person's history of convictions for violence and other community safety concerns. What on earth were we doing before this? That's the biggest thing you can consider. Will that person reoffend? That's all you have to ask in this particular situation. All right, this exchange happened yesterday um, with Pierre Polyever outside the House of Commons about bail reform. And, and I have no idea. Like, honestly, do you like awkwardness? I kind of do. I'm here for the cringe sometimes. I'm here for the cringe sometimes. Pierre Polyevre is asked by a reporter, and this seems to be a gotcha for Pierre Polyev. He's asked by a reporter, what's the point of tougher bail reform when the person's already committed the crime? Like, he asked this. I, I, honestly, I, I don't even want to tell this person where babies come from. I think he thinks it involves a stork. Here's part one of the exchange. How can you attribute bail to this increase in crime and not, should, we, should there not be more supportive measures to prevent the crime in the first place? Well, <laughs> the... You're talking about someone being on bail. They've already allegedly committed the crime. So where, you know... They're committing crimes on bail. <laughs> That's the problem. The problem is, I'll give you an example. In Vancouver... The same 40 offenders were arrested 6,000 times in a year. That's 150 arrests per offender per year. Why? Because they're arrested in the morning, then they're released on bail by noon, they reoffend, they're back in jail by 2 in the afternoon, and then they're released by the evening so that they can commit their final crime before they go to bed. Okay. Okay. Now, now you get you get your standard uh, Pierre Polly ever sass there. You, you got that. But the reporter, this is a gentleman named Ian Wood, and he makes another effort at this. No. So Ian Wood, please, there should be voices inside your head. There's a choir of voices singing at you. Take the L and move along. He didn't. Failure of the the system to not support people who have committed crimes, gone to jail serve their their sentence you know and then they're committing another crime so is this not a failure of things like social services and support for people who have committed crimes are you, ser are you serious 
I'm asking you a oh, question. I mean, are you serious? Come on. You're telling well, me, you no, excuse me, let, let me answer your question. Are you honestly saying that it's society's fault if a repeat violent offender commits 60 or 70 offenses? I think that criminal is to blame for his own actions. He is personally responsible. We're not talking about some kid who made one mistake when he was 19. We're talking about people who do 60, 70 violent offenses. Why do those people and then they're be, because they're criminals. But why are they criminals? Because they do crime. And why do they do crime? Because we let them out early on bail. Oh my gosh. Okay. Fantastic. I don't I don't even know what to say. I mean, if the horses are already out of the barn, why should we go find them? Why don't we just figure out why they ran away? Don't bring them back. Oh my goodness. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This story has some layers to it. Um, the WNBA yesterday, Becky Hammond is really well known because she was Greg Popovich's assistant coach in San Antonio. So I'm going to tell you, she's probably one of the most well-known um, female basketball icons, was a great player in college, excellent pro in the WNBA, and is by far the closest to becoming an NBA head coach. The Toronto Raptors, um, when they fired Nick Nurse about three weeks ago, were believed to have had Becky Hammond very high up on their radar. I think if anyone's if anyone's doing this in the next year or two, someone will eventually. I'm just putting a, a timestamp on it. In the next year or two, Becky Hammond will be coached. But yesterday, an absolute shocker. She gets suspended two games by the WNBA following a months-long investigation that the team, including Hammond, maybe especially Hammond, mistreated their pregnant star, Dorica Hamby, who won the title with Las Vegas last year. They traded her in January. She just had a baby in March, so she would have told the team she was pregnant. We're going to get into some of the layers of this, but this is what the player herself, who now plays in Los Angeles, said yesterday when asked about, this is her second child, by the way, when asked about explaining this to her children someday, she got quite emotional about this process. But when legend is, like, what will you tell him about, like, yeah. when he was born and, and the fact that you came back and, yeah. and played and, and that you were doing this as an example for, mm -hmm. for both of them? It's actually interesting. My daughter, when it happened, she literally said, are you getting traded because of legend? And it, like, and it, so made me cry. It literally, like, it made me cry. And, um, you know, for my son, I mean, he'll be able to see it, and I don't think this is the end of it. And uh, just, like, moving forward for, uh, like, being progressive for uh, working moms. And I think the league has been incredible in what they've done, but we still have a long ways to go. Okay, on her Instagram yesterday, she wrote, being traded as part of the business, being lied to, bullied, manipulated, and discriminated against is not. That's Hamby, who you just heard from saying that. I have had my character and work ethic attacked. I was promised things to entice me to sign my contract extension that were not followed through on. Um, teams, players, since the beginning of time, in, in pro sports especially, will have disputes. The question here, Sheba, would be very much, does the suspension impact Hammond's reputation and what – what do you do if you're a WNBA team and one of your star players comes and says, I'm pregnant and I can't play half the season? Now, 
I in this is not your typical or unique. It, this is a very unique workplace. I put it that way compared to other workplaces. It is. And that's the thing we have to keep in mind. So she said being lied to, bullied, manipulated and discriminated against. I want to know specifically how those things happen. Because Becky Hammond is no joke. Becky Hammond is the real deal. You mentioned the San Antonio mm-hmm. Spurs. She's the second female assist, assistant coach in NBA history. She knows exactly what she's doing. Her roster is amazing. Her experience is incredible. She's not some newbie on the scene. Uh, and I don't think she should have been suspended. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this isn't popular opinion, but you're there. You're a WNBA player. You're there to do a job. Right, And this is a very different job than, let's say, what I do, what you do, what anybody else does. You're there. It's very physical as well. Uh, you're not there to discuss your baby's sleeping techniques. You're not there to talk about your pregnancy. And, and that's great and all that. that it, it, it's a part of life for every, almost every woman, right? Whoever chooses to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in this case, she's saying the player is saying that it wasn't planned. Uh, not that that makes a difference or not. But I don't think that Becky should have been suspended. She's doing her job. You're there to, to play. And so now this player is going to be off for the season. So she traded her. Uh, and honestly, I don't blame her for doing that at all. I, I And it's such a unique, you and I have talked before about individual athletes. Like there's Naomi Osaka taking time off from the, the women's, the, the WTA tour. But to, that, doesn't, that doesn't affect anybody but it doesn't her. Affect, exactly, exactly. That's her call. She's able to do it. She's not on a team, yes. You know, might the WTA sell fewer tickets? Did they sell fewer when Serena was gone? Maybe so. But she, you're right. In that sense... In that, if we talked about John Tavares, whose wife had a baby during the playoffs. If Tavares says, I'm going to stay home with my kid during both the Tampa Bay and, well, they're probably not getting past Tampa Bay if Tavares stays home. So there is an obligation to show up when you can with all your personal life and development swirling around you. But Hamby draws the line here and says... It was it was different. The words like she can she says in the first article I read yesterday, I was being traded because, quote, I wouldn't be ready and we need bodies. Uh, and? I don't know that you can say that you could make the trade, I suppose. But what's the point? What's your point? Yeah, maybe that's why exactly why you're being traded. Maybe that hasn't been said to you directly, but you're there to do a job and you can't do it. It's a very physical job and you're unable to perform your duty. So honestly, get out of here. I don't think we can do that. I don't. I, don't, I, I think, listen, I don't let's think. talk about Skylar Diggins Smith. Okay. Skylar Diggins, who's currently a free agent, she's a former point guard for the Dallas Wings, missed the 2019 season because she gave birth. She talked about how difficult it was and the difficulty. She kept her pregnancy a secret, didn't tell anybody in the organization. She suffered from postpartum depression following the birth of her child. That is no joke. I do not take that as a joke lightly at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's very important. You have to consider that. Uh, but all things being said, you are there to do a job that is very different from what most of us do. And if you are unable to do that job during whatever time, the season only lasts a certain amount of time. What good are you to the team? Do you think that it's more about what was said to her than the fact that she well, was I, traded? There are no I specifics. Don't know how, but That's the thing. There are no specifics to this. She was bullied. She was lied to. I, I'd like to know more. She was manipulated. She was discriminated against. I want to know, I want to know more about this. Now, I'm asking, would you if this was a male coach and a male GM, I think they'd be getting less wiggle room for this than Becky Hammond, who's a mom herself. Okay, this yes. is a mom yes. telling another mom who's already been a mom because this is 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 uh, the player's second the child. She should know the deal absolutely, but in a moment of frustration, in a bad day, at a bad time, um if did she I hire say something you, to the player that she shouldn't job. have said. Uh, well, I don't know what was said. I, I don't either. So I need more information to actually comment on that. the investigation, 
And I, I cannot believe they would take an iconic. My point is I, they wouldn't take an iconic player like Becky Hammond, throw her under the bus without really rock solid evidence. Uh, and and again, this is why I just a- don't think, uh, you know, if I'm the coach, if I'm the owner of the team, you you can't do what I'm paying you to do right now. So what use are you to me? I wish you luck. But Congratulations on the loud. baby. <laughs> no, maybe, well, I don't think that was said out loud. Right. And I am not the coach or the owner. Otherwise, I wouldn't be saying these words. But you're there to perform a, a job for me that you're unable to do. Do you know how much money I'm losing out on because of this situation? Uh, uh, so, so best of luck to you. Congratulations on the baby. Uh, and see you never. You, uh, you were hired by a gentleman named Jeff Story here, right? <laughs> yes, I is that, was. Is that his name? Okay, yes. I can't remember. Yes. Um, and, and if Jeff's, if, if you end up with child, okay, a month into getting hired yeah. and you say to Jeff, see you in a year. Jeff's going to be like, like he'll, he's I not would going to, to say, three what, Isn't it a we three need months? you here. We need bodies here. How could you do this he to me? He can't say he, that to me, but you know where he's saying Becky that? Hammond do you know where say he's saying that? He's saying that at his dinner table. No, you don't know that. He is. Anybody would. <laughs> Anybody is saying that at their dinner table. They can't say that to my face, but you think at my job interview, if I had said, oh, I'm expecting a baby in six months. You think I would have gotten the job? Absolutely not. What use am I to them? I'm useless to them. Um. Well, yeah. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I've never even seen him eat dinner. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let's welcome on uh, our guest. She was resoundingly elected. We had some close mayoral elections in the GTA. This was not one of them. 78.5% of voters in Mississauga re-elected Bonnie Crombie for a third time. So let's bring her on. She is the mayor of Mississauga. She is former uh, federal liberal MP as well, Bonnie Crombie. It's great to have you on Toronto Today. We appreciate Thank the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on, and thank you to the people of Mississauga as well. And what a great day in Mississauga. Yeah, well, it sounds like this week, um, the, I mean, D- Doug Ford has, uh, has sometimes he can't keep a political secret to save his life. That's me saying that. You don't have to nod and, and wink and agree. But it sounds like Mississauga is gaining a further degree of independence. You wrote an op-ed in the Toronto Star saying it's time for an independent Mississauga. Was this kind of on your radar even when you became mayor, even in, in Hazel's last couple of elections that this has been talked about for a lot longer than we think? It absolutely has. Certainly, Hazel has worked for many years to separate Mississauga. She resented that Mississauga was the cash cow in the region of Peel. The region was created at the same time uh, as the city of Mississauga was formed. And largely, we developed first. Our subdivisions built out first. And so it was our development charges and our tax dollars that were used to fund the growth of the region. So our tax dollars went into the growth of Brampton and Caledon. And what we're saying today is that's enough. It's Mm. time for that to stop. Those tax dollars, those development charges dollars should be invested in our city. Now, look, Brampton's now in their growth phase, so they've got a lot of development charges coming in. I'm sure they'd like to invest those into the, the growth and the development of their city as well. Are you confident the premier um, is, is he says he backs an independent Mississauga? Do, do you sense uh, uh, something's coming this week in terms of an announcement? Well, nothing's real until it's real, right? <laughs> I'm very, very hopeful. I'm very, very hopeful. But at the same time, you just never know. And at the same time, the devil's in the details, right? You know, they may say subject to something, some approval, facilitator has to come in and decide. You just never know until you know. So we, we're sitting here in Mississauga with our toes and our fingers crossed, hopeful, 
hopeful that we'll get fairness and equity and that the premier and the provincial government will do the right thing. And I think we heard from people listening in Mississauga and from Brampton Bonnie a couple of weeks ago who almost were worried when this started getting discussed that this was more about amalgamation, that all of a sudden this would be one region, one mayor. But that it sounds like it's exactly the opposite, and it means independence for Caledon, Brampton and Mississauga. Well, good grief. Could you imagine? No, it'd be a city of two million people. Well, that's not even the point. Imagine losing your identity. I mean, Brampton is a beautiful city. They have their own unique, distinct identity, as does Mississauga. We've been tied in with Hazel for the past 36 years as her tenure as mayor. She grew the city. Many of us moved here to raise our families, to invest, to open businesses because of Hazel McCallion. We are closely tied to the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Could you imagine what the uh, First Nations people would think if their name became suddenly eradicated to something, a city of appeal. It's meaningless for everyone. We would lose our identities, and that would be just, well, that would be unconscionable. We had Mayor Brown on from Brampton yesterday. Um, this this seems to be, I, I don't see it as a war of words, but I see it as, as an amicable divorce. It's a split nonetheless. And I see Patrick Brown advocating for what he says Brampton's put into the relationship, and you're going to do the same. It, or is there more to it than that are, are you have you looked at some of brown's comments and said well that's not necessarily how i view it in terms of sharing of resources and who needs to pay what well you know this is the narrative that mayor brown is putting forward and i respect that he has to put a narrative forward but unfortunately it's just simply not true uh the math does not add up uh, you have to understand that we have paid 70 percent of the freight at the region of Peel for about 40 years. The past 10 years, as Brampton has grown, it's reduced to 66 to 65. And today, 60% of the freight at the region of Peel, we have only 50% of the vote, by the way. Then in addition, we transfer $84 million a year to Brampton to pay for their regional roads, their planning, and their policing. And it's really, really interesting. You know, we may be 60, 60% of the population of the region appeal, and we get 50% of the police calls. They're just slightly more than 40% of the population. They, too, get 50% of the police calls. So you can see this is a very inequitable relationship as it is. We called it irreconcilable differences. You know, the fact that we transfer all that money each year, we raise taxes responsibly around the rate of inflation here. We're strong fiscal managers in Mississauga. And and yet Mayor Brown has frozen taxes in Brampton for four of the five years. So he claims Mississauga... Because of the transfer. Right, because of the transfer. He claims Mississauga owes Brampton close to a billion dollars. Do they? Does Mississauga owe Brampton some money? Like, is there a number between zero and a billion that you do owe them? <laughs> well, you do the math. How is that possible? When we built all the infrastructure assets, we built... You know, we own the water wastewater treatment plant. Yes, the, the waste plant is in, is in Brampton. You know, yes, we have the police headquarters. They have the paramedic stations. These assets are divided relatively equally, and it's Mississauga that's paid for them. It's, we've paid for them over the past 50 years while he's contributed 20 to 25 cents on the dollar. Bonnie Crombie's our guest, the mayor of Mississauga. All right, when it comes to the liberal leadership, um, you went to the convention a couple weeks ago. People are wondering, I'm sure people are asking Mississauga, I don't think you're going to give me a yes or no today, but will you give me an, an element of kind of the pros and cons, a yellow pad? This would be a good reason. This is why I will. This is why I won't sense of where you're at right now. 
so this is some this is a very serious decision because I love my city. I love the people of Mississauga. I love my job. I have people tell me I'm a great fiscal manager. They have confidence in my leadership. And but that does give me pause if I could bring that same sort of transparent, strong leadership uh, more broadly. That's something to consider. I've got a lot of asks out to the province. You know, I want to see I want to see an independent Mississauga. I want to see a downtown loop of the LRT. I want to see all day two-way go train service on the Milton line. And I want more responsible growth and development. The, the government will understand that I have some issues with, with some of the measures that have been taken recently. And that's a bigger discussion for another day. Are we weeks away? Are we months away? From, from, uh, from you yeah, saying one way or the other, because you're going to keep getting asked. Oh, I know I- you know that. <laughs> Uh, well, of course, I get asked, and I'm waiting. Well, let's t- well, let's wait and see. Later this week, next week, whenever the provincial government makes their announcement on the on fate of Peel Region, let's hope they do the right thing. Let's hope that fairness and equity is brought back to Mississauga. Is there? A, you laid out where you were, where Mayor Brown was. Are there conversations to have more in the short term than the long term to figure this out? Um, if the premier makes an announcement, is that the time then you, you get in a room and you say, "Here's what I think. Here's what I think." Again, it, we're talking about a divorce as amicable as as amicable as it could possibly be. We hope. Well, this is, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is a, a provincial decision that will be imposed on us. And this takes a lot of political will. So I'm very grateful to the province that they have come this far and are willing to do the right thing finally. We did have a governance review back in 2015 when the provincial government was first elected and they didn't want to make the big change back then. Well, when they were first elected, what was that, 2018, I guess. Um, And so we're hopeful that they do the right thing this time. This is a a campaign that Hazel McCallion is going to I'd love to fulfill her legacy, but at the same time, it makes sense. It makes sense for all partners. I don't understand why Mayor Brown wouldn't want to control his own destiny, why he wants Mississauga Mm -hmm. meddling in his planning decisions. I, for one, would like all the decision-making at one table, cut the red tape, cut the duplication, let's get the job done, let's get houses built, let's make sure... Our permits are processed quickly. I want to control my own destiny. I don't want to meddle in decisions being made at the region appeal that influence Brampton or Caledon, nor should he want to do that to me. Let's stand on our own two feet. We have all kinds of municipalities, cities that are single tier. London, Windsor, uh, Chatham-Kenford, Bradford. Why is it that Peel... Uh, is a, a two-tier system when the mm. third and fourth uh, largest cities are connected together and Mississauga has paid for the growth of this region for the past 50 years. I hear that loud and clear. Let's stay in touch on the file, Bonnie. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All Bo- the best. Bonnie Crombie joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News. Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. We're going to kick in a conversation um, with uh, one of millions, I think millions, I don't think that's an exaggeration, of Torontonians frustrated, so frustrated frustrated by uh, this, all the transit talk, 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 yap, 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 and not enough getting done. Not just not enough getting done, but more money, more infrastructure. I, I don't get why this is this is a thing. And if I if I could advise, if, if I could have advised it to John Tory, I should do the same for Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey. Why is it a thing in a city like Toronto where there are cones everywhere, lane closures everywhere, the area in front of our building was like a like a like a slalom a ski slalom course. You could have had the giant slalom at Garmish Pardenkirchen in front of Queen's Key 
for like a month. Why do you celebrate the start of, it's the start of construction season. Why was that a kickoff yesterday with hats and vests and and emojis on Jennifer McKelvey's Twitter? Roads, bridges, expressways. It, it's, it's more than, no, it, construction seasons every month. It's 365, 12, 24, 7, however it all works. Put any numbers where you want. That's where we're at. You can tell me that the projects that you're going to try and complete and why, and we'll just, but, but the problem is we'll pick apart the projects that we know won't get done. Now, let me praise Jennifer McKelvey for this suggestion. She wrote yesterday with all of this Eglinton Crosstown mess with the CTS and the TTC and Metrolinks and, and lay this, yes, at the doorstep of the Minister of Transport, Caroline Mulroney, and the provincial government. They're blaming the liberals. I'm sure there were problems with the deal before 2018. I'm sure that there were. Um, but here's what she writes. I'm hopeful. Jennifer McKelvey wrote this yesterday. I'm hopeful the premier will call a roundtable together, call everyone involved into the boardroom and hammer out a solution. Now, people tend, it's weird how this works itself out. When you sue somebody and criticize them publicly to the point of maybe it's maybe it's libel or slander. People don't want to get into boardrooms with coffee and donuts and bagels. They don't. But she writes this. I'm happy to be there to represent the city of Toronto. We're happy to help them in any way. I want people to be less happy. She used the word happy twice. I'm like, I, I want a mayor who's really ticked off. Now, maybe she is. She's frustrated, but I don't want to I don't want you to be happy to be there to represent the city of Toronto. I want you to demand that this happens. I'm hopeful the premier calls a roundtable. No, tell him he's this and he's that if he doesn't do it. Do that. That that's what needs to be done here. That's the arrangement that has to happen. All right. Our next guest reached out to our radio station, which we thank her for, um, with a really impassioned, uh, impassioned concerns about what's happening. She's a resident on Eglinton West. And joins us now, she is Susan Deke. Susan, first of all, thanks for getting up for us. Thanks for being on for our audience. Thanks for reaching out to us here at 640 Toronto. No worries. No worries at all. Um, you can tell, I, I, I may never be on the Eglinton LRT other than maybe a few times a year if I'm visiting friends. But I this, this speaks to our entire city, how it's operating right now. Wasted money, wasted time. And I can only imagine how frustrating it is for you residing on Eglinton West. Well, to what you said about Queenski being a slalom, Eglinton is an obstacle course. Yeah. Because not only do you have the constant merging and unmerging and cones and whatnot, but the uneven pavement of the concrete, of the, the asphalt, God forbid you actually make it through safely without da- damaging your shocks. When did, when this started, what were your hopes and expectations? I made the point earlier. We'll all have construction on our street. We own a business. We'll be like, ah, they're tearing up the sidewalk or they're adding something here. And you think, I've just got to grit my teeth and get through it. And at most, it'll be a couple months. This has been well over a half decade. I can't imagine what people thought originally. What was your thought when this just when this started up? So originally, okay, I'm thinking, okay, we need this because... Truthfully, Toronto has one of the worst transit systems in the world. I mean, you look at the way Europe and everything else is set up, and I mean, I do have some experience there. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, it should not take this flipping long. I mean, when you look at other nations where they're able, or other cities where they're able to do this, they can do it in half the time. And it's, I was prepared for some inconvenience. It's a reality of Toronto. It's a reality of construction. We need to have construction in order, order to, um, you know, support the current infrastructure and strengthen it and whatnot. But this 
I want to know how they justify making it go on for this long, how they justify the additional expenses in my industry, in my construction industry where I work. If we are delayed like this, it's coming out of our pocket. Well, and and people would just, you have to meet certain benchmarks. You do, I do, teachers do, lawyers do. Oh, yeah. People that work in sales do. Um, and when you don't meet them, someone says, we're concerned you're not Get meeting fine. them. And, and then and, and that, that starts a little bit of a trick. So there's no <laughs> there's no element that, OK, it's gone on forever. Here's what it's cost time and money wise. Now, now we're going to ask you now we're going to give you an ultimatum and you're going to have to hit these benchmarks or we're going to move this mm-hmm. along and you're and you're out. And there's none of that here in this con- in, in no. this in this circular blame game here. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, I think the part that really, truly frustrates me is this conversation is on repeat. Every few months, it's on repeat, but nobody's doing anything. I mean, I work, my, my field, I work in new construction residential. Mm-hmm. If we do not meet our benchmarks and our deadlines, we will get fined. And that's just a reality. So we work our butts off to make sure it happens. The only way, the only time there's any acceptable excuse is if it's an act of nature that we have absolutely no control over. And that's a reality. I mean, COVID that was unprecedented. Yeah. And I mean, that's a whole other can of worms, but we don't meet, meet our deadlines. We're getting fined as a company, as a corporation, you can't do that. And somebody needs to be held responsible for these delays. Somebody needs to be held responsible for the added expenses. It's coming out of my paycheck every time I get paid. It's getting it's coming out of everybody's paycheck who lives in Toronto. Who's that's not fair. Susan Deeks are oh sorry, I was just gonna reset. Susan Deeks are guest resident on Eglinton West. Let me people love your neighborhood. People um, oh, I love it. I, I absolutely and that's a big reason why somebody might say, Hey, if it's so frustrating, move. Nah, man, you were there first. You you were there before all these ideas came about, all this construction started, and all this incompetence started rearing its ugly head. You shouldn't have to move. They should have to do what they promised to do. Exactly. And that's the thing. There are contracts for a reason. And if they're not putting into the fine print that this is your deadline, you must have it done by this time, and these are the only acceptable exceptions, then, hey, it's got to come out of their pocket. Somebody else has to pay. It should not be coming out of the taxpayers' pockets. And, I mean, I look at my neighborhood. It's been decimated. I look at all these small mom-and-pop shops that are gone. Like, some of my favorite places to frequent. I've been in the area for 30 years. And I've seen, you know, the, the coming and going of different businesses. But there are some that have been there forever, and they're gone. They, it just, they've been destroyed. No, but you can't park on Eglinton because of all of the construction. And I mean, everybody was prepared for it for a short period of time, but not for the length of time that's been going on now. Who's compensating all those people that that have lost their businesses because they can't do business because people can't get to them? What kind of stores are gone? Um, Smaller clothing stores, smaller boutique shops, uh, small mom and pop restaurants. Like one of the best Thai restaurants in this city was there and it's gone. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. Absolute insanity. I want it. I'd like to know who's responsible. I'd like to know who's going to take the blame on this one. Who's going to take responsibility. I mean, we have to take responsibility when we mess up. Who's going to take responsibility there. Yeah. 
I mean, most of us have looked at this situation um, and just said the only way in the future for any government to do anything is you're going to have to hire in-house. You're going to have to hire when you hire a heavy construction unit, send the workers out and then hold them to account. When you tender out projects to private companies, we we, we already know what's going to happen. More costly than you anticipated, longer than anticipated. It's a it's it's like a it's a blueprint. That's what it is. I mean, yeah, it is. And, but at the same time, like, I mean, I look at tender, tender packages on a daily basis and, mm-hmm. you know, there's that little caveat there. This is your deadline. You need to be able to meet it. Done. Period. I hope we can stay, you know? in, I hope we can stay in touch on this, Susan. I'm out of time, but thank you for reaching out to us. And uh, it, it's, it, it's easy to understand the frustration. Uh, and I hope if we're yelling and screaming with you, maybe Maybe we can get more answers. Maybe we can move the ball uh, further down the field. I don't know, but saying nothing. As long as the, we, as soon as the politicians pull up their, their big boy and big bro, girl panties and put their foot down and say, hey, let's get this done. No more excuses. It'll happen. Yeah. But until somebody does it, it's not going to happen. Susan, thanks so much for coming on the show. No worries. Thank uh, you. Susan Deke uh, joining us on Toronto Today. Um, yeah. If you're an elected official, you have to hold bureaucrats responsible. I don't see it enough. I don't see it. You know I don't see it in our healthcare bureaucrats, not doctors, not nurses, not orderlies, not EMTs. I don't see it enough. What's your failure in letting a project or a budget just go nuts, knowing that it's public money and you can get more? It would never, ever be allowed to happen in private industry.